ॐ नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ॐ नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय ॐ नमो भगवते वासुदेवाय Shrimad Bhagavatam, chapter 10, text 80, sorry, Skanda, 10th canto, 80th chapter, verse 34, spoken by the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Krishna. Naham ijja prajati bhyam tapaso prashamenava Tushye yang sarvabhutatma guru susrushayayatha. Translation. I, the soul of all beings, am not as satisfied by ritual worship, Brahminical initiation, penances, or self-discipline, as I am by faithful service rendered to one's spiritual master. Purport. The word prajati here indicates either begetting good children or the second birth obtained by ritual initiation into Vedic culture. Although both of these are praiseworthy, Lord Krishna here states, that faithful service to a bona fide spiritual master is still higher. Hmm. <clears throat> now the comparison is often given as of a guru to a father. Uh, just as the physical father gives birth to the physical body via the medium of a wife in human society and through a, an unmarried woman in among humans who are not really human, uncivilized. <clears throat> so in the same way, the spiritual life is given. Spiritual life is given by the a guru who is the spiritual father and the mother is the Vedas. Vedic knowledge. And Vedic knowledge means compared to the mother, the spiritual life comes from the mother, but it requires the intervention of the father also to bring that potential into being. So both are needed. <clears throat> Father and mother. So that's the technical consideration. Of course, in neither sense, either the physical sense of parenthood or the spiritual sense, in neither sense is life actually given. Life is already there. The physical body is given to a living being, 
in the material world. And the, being in the material world means his spiritual life is dormant. So the, by the combination of the guru and the shastra, that is the combination which the uh, conditioned soul accepts to come to life. Otherwise, he's as if dead. Of course, as in all analogies, it has its limitations. Because the disciple has to voluntarily become a disciple and accept the uh, dictation of Guru and Shastra. Whereas, taking physical birth, one doesn't have a choice as to one's parents. So the analogy, as with all analogies, has its limitations. Now, apart from that technical consideration of the Guru as father, it's also often, or, or generally conceived, in terms of relationship also. In fact, the word guru, uh, it doesn't, it's not confined to the acharya, the spiritual master. But guru means uh, any senior person, especially the parents are often considered in the class of guru. Guru means a senior who one is to submit to, who is worshipable, who is uh, trusted completely with the faith that they're acting for my benefit, and what they say is correct, I should follow without question. That's the general case, of course. Uh, if the guru gives some order which is not understood, it is quite fitting to question it. And if the guru gives some order which is, uh, which the disciple thinks is wrong, well, the disciple has that right to question that. As we see in Bhagavad Gita, it wasn't that Arjuna immediately accepted everything that Krishna said. That only came at the end. Nashto moham smritir labdhatat prasadena maya chuta stitosmi gatasandeha karishe vachanantava. Arjuna was only ready to follow the orders of Krishna when he had thoroughly cross-examined Krishna. Of course, from Krishna's point of view, his questions were rather foolish because he was speaking from the platform of illusion. But from our platform, they're very meaningful questions for, the, for us who are in illusion to understand the subject properly. Uh, so Krishna, by his answers, removed the ignorance, the, the uh, illusion that covered Arjuna by which at the beginning, before he heard the Bhagavad Gita, he was not willing to follow Krishna. But after hearing, he was willing to follow unquestioningly, having been convinced. Of course, it's not that one should go on questioning, 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 
unlimitedly because there are unlimited doubts if one is trying to engender doubts you can always bring up some doubt if you make a if you make a determination to doubt everything then you can whatever anything anyone says you can go on doubting but it is a self-defeating position the skeptical position when one doubts everything if one says i doubt everything so then you ask the i i don't accept anything then you ask the person who says that so should you accept what you just said then it's a self-defeating position if he doesn't accept anything then he also doesn't accept the statement that he doesn't accept anything so it's multiplying double minus multiplication comes out as though he's caught in his own web of puffed up uh yes very very his doubtfulness is actually a symptom of his pride that he can't put faith in anyone he doesn't think that anyone is fit to instruct him so there has to be some initial faith uh <clears throat> the basic faith in the, in the goodness of reality reality is good there is uh, there are higher powers there to help me i may may not understand them who those higher powers are but the basic faith that uh reality is good we see that in children they they parents they basically very trust even in uh of course not all the same but even we saw recently in the farm i was staying in just outside salem in south india during the time i was there there were two calves born and from the beginning very trusting if they're brought up like that they'll be very trusting in the western countries the cows are mostly very distrusting because they're mistreated some years ago at bhaktivedanta manor near london the iskon famous center there my physical father father of this physical body was visiting and there was a uh a bull calf was more than a calf was a little bit grown hereford breed they're big tough breed so the, the calf was at the edge of the wooden corral and i reached out and petted that calf my father was surprised oh so tame because he never never experienced or expected anything bad humans are nice that's the protected cows they 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 have that natural propensity to accept that but those who are raised cows that are raised cows and bulls that are raised simply as economic units to be killed then they are mistreated and they're very fearful and they can be very dangerous also of course some bulls even if you treat them nicely by their nature they're very angry can be very dangerous but the just the basic idea is there that the, the tendency to trust 
is more natural than the tendency to distrust. Especially those who are uh, born with the daivi sampat, the godly qualities. They have an inherent belief in the goodness of the universe, which they uh, imbibe or, or they develop that through their parents who are their well-wishers. Of course, in the modern age, things are different in many ways. The children themselves are born as the late, not very much belated, John Lennon said, uh, most children nowadays are born over a bottle of whiskey on Saturday night. There's no spiritual family planning. And so the children are Varna Sankara. Of course, they're all Varna Sankara, but increasingly so. And then the children that they give birth to are more and more uh, mentally disturbed. The whole society is disturbed. The parents, they see children as a burden. So giving this example that the guru is like a father, that example we might have to stop giving it because if people think of their father, they, oh, I don't, I don't want anyone like that. I don't want anyone like my father. <laughs> try, try some other analogy. Uh, but generally it's understood that the father and mother are well-wishers, that they sacrifice for the children and the children as they grow up a little, they begin to understand that, and especially when they have their own children, then they understand, they begin to understand how much my parents sacrifice for me when they have to sacrifice for their own children, if they do sacrifice for their own children. <clears throat> so the guru as father is also, it, it's not just some technical, uh, Comparison, but the uh, well-wisher, your ever-well-wisher, Srila Prabhupada used to sign his letters to his disciples. Srila Bhaktisthan Sasar Thakur, uh, he would sign Nittashivadak, which means the same thing. Shuta uh, <coughs> Kirti Prabhu, was uh, one of the two disciples of Srila Prabhupada who are known principally for their service as personal servants to Srila Prabhupada. Uh, among his uh, memoirs of Srila Prabhupada, or, his, or a summary of his own personal feelings towards Srila Prabhupada is that he said that uh, my own father, he uh, physical father, I was separated from him or whatever, he died or whatever, uh, very young, so he never really had a father. And uh, he said that Srila Prabhupada was just like a father to me. Uh, father means always seeing for the welfare and uh, 
somewhat strict also. Generally, it's thought that the the mother is supposed to be the ocean of indulgence. She indulges the child. But the father expresses or, or manifests his love for the child in being a little distant so that he can chastise the child, or, or discipline is a better word. Discipline the child. So that the... the uh, that function is also required. Otherwise, the children go up to be just like animals, unless there's any discipline. Mm. Just as a little aside here, as I just discussed a couple of days ago in English class in school, one of the books I or our class had to read was The Lord of the Flies by William Golding, I think was the author, and it's a story of some British kids who are shipwrecked on an island without any adults and within a short time they're completely savage and wild and they're killing each other. So one of the morals of the story is that I suppose is that human nature without uh, without discipline, children without being disciplined, they become completely wild. So the guru is supposed to be disciplined. That is the uh, the guru, when we're talking here about the acharya, the spiritual guru, and the shishya, it means one who accepts the discipline uh, of the guru. So it's not exactly like the uh, father-to-child relationship of the in the home situation. Although in the the home situation, the parents are also in respectable families, they're also uh, just like gurus. They, they, are, they, they are worshipable, actually. The tradition is that in the morning, the children, they will come before the parents and offer obeisance. Uh, even the children, they may have their own grandchildren, but they, that would mean the sons especially, because the daughters go away to another. So the sons will come and bow down. And the parents act in such a way that they are actually like gurus. The idea of uh, guru families, that means the father is a guru to a certain group of people and his son takes it over as just like a caste in the Hindu caste system. The potter's son becomes a potter. The barber's son becomes a barber. The priest's son becomes a priest. The thief's son becomes a thief. And the guru's son becomes a guru. So it's not necessarily a bad thing. In, in the sixth chapter of Bhagavad Gita, Srila Prabhupada writes that there are many families, and the Shuchinang Srimatam Gehe, this, this discussion, he discusses that there are many families which generation by generation, they bring acharyas, because from the very beginning, the children, they're trained in that culture, uh, they know nothing else but it, and they're actually they can see from their father what it means to be a guru and from their mother what it means to be guru mata, the wife of the guru. <clears throat> so they can very 
easily adopt that role. So it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it, but uh, when it becomes simply a means of livelihood or an occupation, then the problems come. For a potter to be a potter as an occupation, well, it's it's more than an occupation. It's his dharma. This whole concept of dharma is intrinsic to Varnashram dharma. That the the dharma of a potter is to make pots and other clay artifices. Uh, and it's not just something that he does so that he can get his bread or rice. But it's his duty because the whole society is centered that all the activities are done for the sake of dharma, for yagya, ultimately for Vishnu. But particularly in the guru families, they are directly engaged in spiritual activities. That directly also, for the, for one who has the consciousness of that, the potter, the barber, which is considered some dirty work to cut people's hair, shave them, and clip their nails. That's some dirty work. But that can be, consi- that can be considered fully uh, spiritual. Brahmarpanam, Brahmahavya, etc. Uh, if, the, if the person is in the consciousness of that, therefore, svakarmana tamabhyacha siddhing vinditi manavaha, every person, not just the Brahmin, Every person can achieve the highest perfection by performing their work worshipping as worshipping Krishna. But it's especially expected. King Puna, Brahmana Punya, Bhakta Raja Shayastata. It's not so much expected that the Sri, Vaishya, Shudra, Papa Yoni, those who are born of a sinful background, it's not so much expected that they will be so very spiritual. But for the what it, but they can, if they take full shelter of Krishna, they can achieve the highest destiny. They can go to Krishna. Then what to speak of the uh, Brahmanas and Kshatriyas who's the Kshatriya he Kshatriya is not as high considered as high a position as the Brahmana, but uh, very much his activity he is the represent just as the Brahmana is the representative of God in being pure and giving spiritual knowledge, the Kshatriya is the representative of God in protecting the citizens and ordering them, protecting them not only from outside influences but disciplining them so that they act in a manner which is conducive for their own self-interest. Because otherwise the Less intelligent people, if they're not disciplined in that way, then they will act in a manner which is bad for them and bad for others. So the Kshatri is also the representative of God. And the, the Brahmana also, or particularly more so, because his whole life is uh, full of directly uh, religious and spiritual activities. <coughs> So it's not, it's the, the, the Brahmana especially, but any parents who are actually acting in a dharmic manner, 
especially the, the, the fulfillment of all dharma is to worship Krishna. So Vaishnavas, whatever background they may come from, that's stated in the nectar of devotion, that the even the uh, outcast people in the in the kingdom of uh, Mayuradvaj, with the uh, they, they as Vaishnavas because he was one king who made all his citizens Vaishnavas, so decorated with Gopi Chandan and beads, and with they look even though they're the lowest class of people as Vaishnavas, they look. Uh, j- just as if they come from Vaikuntha. And they're certainly higher than any Brahmana who's not a Vaishnava. So in Vaishnava families, whatever, they may be whatever so-called caste or non-caste, or they may be, uh, they're certainly worshipable. And uh, they, they lead an ideal life and the children can look up to them as gurus. And actually the, the first gurus are supposed to, first guru is the mother. Uh, in, uh, in uh, caring for the child and giving so much important instruction. The, the children don't go to the, the boys don't go to the gurukul until age eight or whatever, but, but they're trained prior to, they already have a background that's largely given by the mothers. Nowadays we think of having a mother, but in traditional culture it's mothers. Nowadays also you can have mothers. There would be two lesbians adopt a child. But the Vedic history, we have many mothers in the joint family. And their uh, dharma is to be a mother. And they don't know anything else but to be a mother. Of course, this is not much appreciated in the modern age, that they should be mothers, but that is the... Uh, when we say proper, then they think, oh, proper, they're putting me, restricting me. I have to be, I can't be a film star or a factory worker or a liberated woman. But when we say proper, that means what is proper according to the psychophysical propensity and what is actually... If they follow that, especially with a, with a clear sense of dharma, and especially, especially with a clear sense of serving Krishna, then simply by acting as a mother in Krishna consciousness, they achieve all perfection. So that, but if they try to do something different, that will, as Srila Prabhupada said, hamper their spiritual advancement. <clears throat> so the, the parents are also gurus. We see uh, Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Practically in, in everything Bhaktisthan Sarasar Thakur learned was from Bhaktivinoda Thakur. Uh, he was trained as a Vaishnava by Bhaktivinoda Thakur. One thing he took from Gorkishaw Das Babaji Maharaj, the, the, uh, that's Bhaktisiddhanta Sarsar Thakur said that he doubted, 
He uh, had read the descriptions of the great devotees of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the great devotees in Srimad Bhagavatam. But he doubted that anyone in the present age could actually live up to that ideal. He got that hope in the personage of Srila Gokishodas Babaji Maharaj. You may say, well, what about Bhaktivinoda you know, Thakur? Why did, why did he not see that? Well, that's, uh, the answer to that could be very confidential, and Srila Prabhupada said not to discuss it, so I won't discuss it. Uh, <coughs> and then the, the question may then come also, That why do you need a guru? If your parents are gurus, then why why do you need any other guru? Why did Bhaktivinoda Thakur send uh, Saraswati, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati, for initiation to Gorkisha? Was it just a formality because Bhaktivinoda couldn't initiate him? <coughs> Well, there may be, one thing is, there may be because one is living so intimately with the, uh, with the parents and that affection is there. That the, the tendency to indulge may give, even somewhat tendency to indulge may give some spirit of familiarity breeds contempt. Another reason may be that those who are the spiritual initiators, gurus, they must be on the highest standard. Although the parents may be trying for that, but they might not be. <clears throat> so these are reasons that one should go to, uh, even if one is raised in good culture, uh, then one should go to uh, guru uh, also specifically the gurus the acharyas they they teach in a systematic way whereas the parents might not do that oh another example of the father as a guru of course is Srila Prabhupada's own father uh, who inculcated in him a spirit of Vaishnavism <clears throat> but it appears that his father did not train Srila Prabhupada in the uh, philosophical understanding of Krishna consciousness, which by which Srila Prabhupada himself later uh, manifested the role of guru. One can be a guru by teaching the children as Srila Prabhupada's father he arranged for him to learn to play madanga. He inculcated him in this, in this the, the sense of deity worship, of respecting sadhus. Uh, but the philosophy of Krishna consciousness in all details was given by his spiritual father, Bhaktisthan Saraswati Thakur. And taking that, he taught the whole world and is continuing to do so. So the the, the guru as father, uh, generally, Srila Prabhupada would 
uh, use this term, spiritual master. Sometimes you would say spiritual father also, and treated his disciples, many of them looked up, well, there were different disciples, different disciples saw him in different ways. The early, the, the earliest disciples of Srila Prabhupada, they, they saw him, it seems, almost as a friend, because he was so intimately living with them and dealing with them and joking with them. Uh, and then others who had interaction with him and as, as the movement grew, Srila Prabhupada became to most of his disciples somewhat more aloof because you can't intimately deal with many people. Intimate dealings requires time and you can't do that with everyone. You can't, you can't, literally, you can't spend much time with many people. Uh, and so many saw Srila Prabhupada as their father. I think probably uh, most of the uh, Srila Prabhupada's female disciples saw him like that. Many of them, male also, but maybe especially the female. And then later as Srila Prabhupada assumed the role of a majestic world-conquering Acharya, then uh, many disciples saw Srila Prabhupada like a military commander who was orchestrating the, the troops and making the strategies for conquering the demoniac civilization. Srila <clears throat> mm. Prabhupada is heavy. Guru means heavy. Spiritual commander-in-chief, leader of the troops, uh, giving orders. You have to follow the orders. Follow the orders. You, will, you have to do it. Of course, the devotees are very happy. To, it's not exactly, again, the analogy isn't exactly fitting because this is a vol volunteer army. There's no draft. You can't draft people. You can't forcefully make people take up Krishna consciousness. They voluntarily do so. But just like one may voluntarily join the army, but having made that decision, you have to follow the military discipline. You can't say, well, I, I volunteered to join this army and so I, I'll accept which orders I like and I won't, I won't accept those I don't like. Then it's not an order. There's no meaning to military discipline if you don't accept it. So sometimes, as in the army, the, the troops have to be disciplined. Yeah. Guru has to be heavy. Srila Prabhupada explained Guru means heavy with knowledge. That's the intrinsic meaning, heavy with knowledge. But it has to be a very heavy, grave personality, heavy with the sense of the importance of his mission. It's not a joke, just like it's not, a, it's not some trite matter to have children. When then one is responsible for them in all respects. Even physically to look after children is a great commitment, what to speak of spiritually. And to take, yesterday, yesterday evening I was talking about how the Guru is seen as God, but it's to take that role is a very, very heavy role, and one actually has to represent the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And actually, 
act in such a manner, act and teach in such a manner, that the disciples will be benefited. You may say, well, the, the, the disciples, they don't have any freedom. They're just under the discipline of the Guru. But the Guru more so is under the discipline of his own Guru. Because the disciple, it may be expected that they may, in their neophyte state, they may lapse now and then, or they may act whimsically, but the Guru is not supposed to do that at any time. He has to set the example all the time. He's always under discipline, all the time. Because if he, even for a moment, does something which, that is, which can be taken by the disciples as an excuse for them to be less disciplined, they'll take it. An example is that... Uh, Srila Prabhupada, he used to like drinking 7-Up, which is a soft drink, fizzy drink. Srila Prabhupada sometimes used to take that for, uh, he found it's good for digestion. The, the fizzy bubble, bubbly drink, can after a, sometime if you take it after a meal, it can aid digestion. It helps you to burp and then the all the air, I don't know exactly what. Uh, so in the early days of the movement, seven up was considered maya, sense gratification, until it came to the attention. Well, what happened once somewhere in America, Srila Prabhupada was walking in the street and he asked for a seven up. He, as we learn from Hari Shari Prabhu, Srila Prabhupada, among his various apparent health problems, he had poor digestion. So he asked for a 7-Up, and very aristocratically, he, standing on the curbside, he drank it down. The news went all over the movement, instantly. And the next temple they arrived, they saw crates of empty 7-Up bottles. <laughs> and then Srila Prabhupada stopped drinking it. He took it for digestion. He also liked it. But he saw that give an inch and they'll take a mile. As the saying goes. You probably have a saying in different languages like that also. Give a little opportunity. The, let the, if the camel's nose comes in the tent, then the camel will follow. Uh, so, Guru has to be very heavy in disciplining himself. Of course, that should come naturally. If he's, if he's all the time thinking, oh, ah, it's been, I like all these people praising me and bowing down to me, but I'd, I'd really like to go off and see a blue movie sometime. Maybe I can do it secretly. Uh, if he's thinking like that, or even thinking some small thing, I'd like to, whatever, then... Uh, It'll be a torture for himself, and he won't be able to maintain it. He, 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 sh he should be naturally heavy, not uh, that he's artificially restraining himself. Another way the guru has to be heavy, here we're in the place of Lord Shiva, who's guru, uh, Vaishnava, guru of the Rudra Sampradaya, so he's very heavy in the sense he's very strong. Only he, among all 
living beings is strong enough to take the force of Ganga as she falls onto the earth. Only he can do that. Therefore his name is Ganga Dhar. He can hold the Ganga. He has the strength to do that. Uh, the Guru has to be very strong also in, accept, in accepting the force. We, we hear of the Guru has to accept the force of the disciples' sinful reactions. But also because the disciples are looking up to the Guru just like a parent with full affection, offering so much love, and to accept that, to be able to reciprocate that, uh, that also requires a uh, depth, big heart. Uh, so in so many ways the guru has to be uh, heavy. The disciple also should not be light. Krishna conscious is heavy, serious, very heavy. Disciples are also supposed to be very heavy. They're supposed, Vaishnavas, the, the Krishna Shakti enters them. The Maya Shakti, which, Yaya Samohita Jiva, which the, the, the Maya Shakti keeps all the uh, conditioned souls in a condition of ignorance. But when they wake, by when the Krishna Shakti enters them through the medium of the Guru, then they become awakened to their original powerful position. The position of a jiva in awakened consciousness, Krishna consciousness, is very powerful. So this is what Srila Prabhupada wanted to give and what the gurus are supposed to give to the disciples. They're supposed to give Krishna, the Krishna consciousness which is so powerful, it takes one beyond this material world with the great advancement of science, so much brain power amalgamated and uh, utilizing the power of the atom. They're able, so we're told, to send uh, vehicles into space, but they can only go a short distance, even by their own calcula cosmological calculations. They can only go a short distance, but the, with all the power of science, they can, only, they can only go a very short distance. But the, by the power of bhakti, which manifests in the awakened soul, they can go beyond the universe, cross the viraja, go beyond and enter into the spiritual world. Otherwise you can't enter because they're very powerful beings keeping all the unqualified people out. For more information, see the Goloka chat and accompanying video. Are they available here? The Goloka chats and accompanying video. You want to know all about spiritual geography? You can get it in there. You can't enter in. It's guarded. You, you, one has to have 
the shakti. The shakti comes from accepting the parampara, not that you become individually powerful. That is the aim of the shaktas or those who worship Durga. They want to take power from Durga for their own self-aggrandizement so that they will themselves become powerful and they are spiked by the trishul, the three-pronged trident of Durga. They, they become very big and strong and puffed up and then again thrown down into the uh, lower species of life. But a devotee actually becomes powerful by, by uh, surrender to the guru, through, to Krishna, through the medium of the guru. Uh, one attains power by surrendered service, even in the material sense. There's a famous narration in Mahabharata of the of the chaste housewife who the uh, the sage is meditating in the forest and some bird is disturbing his meditation so looks up at the bird and by the power of his glance the bird drops down dead very powerful yogi and he goes begging in the village and the woman at the door answers and she sees him and says, okay, just wait. And he gets angry. And after some time she comes back and she says to him, I was serving my husband. I, I was serving my husband, now I'll give you something. And, and don't, don't become so angry with me and think that you can burn me just like you burn that bird. He said, how did you know? Because I'm serving my husband. The, the energy that you get by doing your yoga and you burn up birds, <laughs> I get by serving my husband. She became very powerful. Dhopadi was so powerful by the power of her chastity that by the insult to her, the whole Kuru dynasty, all the de demoniac kings were destroyed. So power comes. But the power comes by service. When one has the spirit to... When everyone in this world wants to be powerful, imitating Krishna, so that they can exploit others and show themselves to be very great. But the disciple, is simply thinks, how I can serve the Guru. And by that is imbued with power and is given the power by which he can conquer the world by giving Krishna consciousness. But greater conquering the world by Krishna consciousness, that is the great Acharyas are doing, but to conquer one's own senses is greater than conquering the world. There are so many great conquerors. Alexander the Great, Napoleon, Hitler, so many great conquerors, but they could not conquer their senses. Therefore, in Indian culture, there's the tradition has been not that one is very anxious to, it's not considered a, a very high pursuit to, to want to conquer over kingdoms and dominate others. Kings, they have a right to invade someone else's 
territory, another king's territory, if it's seen that in that territory the king is not properly performing his dharmic function of protecting the citizens and, and guiding them and maintaining them. So a king may have a an aggressive war for the sake of the suffering citizens in an adjoining kingdom. But that is that is not considered the greatest achiever, one who can conquer the senses, much more difficult than conquering some kingdom or people they want to be a success, I'll get a big job with Hewlett Packard or something like that, now I become a success. That is the symbol of one's foolishness, if one even thinks that that is success. Who can conquer the senses? Very difficult to conquer. But it's possible, how is it possible? Uh, that is possible by the mercy of Guru. Even Mayavadis, they at least verbally acknowledge that. That it's not possible to advance in spiritual life without the mercy of the Guru. So that the, the, the power comes through, the disciple is becomes uh, imbued with power, with energy, becomes effulgent. Devotees are effulgent because the the brightness of the soul shines through, whereas people in the modern age increasingly we see, even though they're living, they look dead. They have, they have no sparkle in their eyes. They, they're just living under a burden of anxiety and hopelessness. And they, are, they can hardly expect any happiness. Therefore they live in fantasy worlds, and even children from the beginning of life, they have no affection from their parents. The parents think they're, they're, they're being affectionate to the children by giving them some computer game. And then the parents don't have to look after them. And then they play games in which they're pretending to conquer the universe and this and that. Just living in a fantasy world. And no happiness, no real relationship with anyone. Uh, that's why they may, if they think father, the guru is a father, they may not want at all. Uh. Mm. So one becomes very powerful by this nishtha, by this firm faith in guru. We see that Srila Prabhupada inculcated that in his disciples. He emphasize this point, maybe more than any guru previously. Because that that is unknown in the Western world, where Srila Prabhupada was mostly uh, teaching. Whereas that culture is there from the beginning. Actually, in all cultures throughout the world, it's, but especially in the, uh, the the culture that has come from India, Vedic culture and offshoots of that, Buddhism, Jainism, Sikhism, this and that. Uh, Srila Prabhupada very much inculcated that, but it wasn't something that Srila Prabhupada invented. It's very much there in Shastra, just like the, the verse we read. I just read, Guru Susrusha. Faithful service to the Guru. Now that coming to the 
parents also or to any elders or respectable person, but especially this means to the uh, spiritual master who takes the responsibility to deliver the disciple from birth and death and to place on the path to Krishna. <clears throat> so it's a very powerful force. Uh, it's very powerful to deliver us from Maya, whoever we may be, whatever we may be. In Kali Yuga we're all fallen. But by Krishna consciousness we can overcome this fallen condition and go to Krishna. A major part of the package is uh, relationship with the Guru as a disciple. The, the first three principles that Rupa Goswami on the order of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu gave in Sri Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu how to practice Krishna consciousness. The first three principles. Guru Pada Ashraya Guru Shikshanu Diksha Oh, actually four principles, isn't it? Uh, what's the fourth one? Sushushu What is it? Sushushu Guru Sevanam I don't remember exactly. Uh So the, the, the one should take shelter of a guru, one should take instruction, one should take initiation, and uh, one should serve with great affection. So Srila Prabhupada mentions in the Nectar Devotion, these are the most important principles. Uh, so, and then the question comes, all right, Srila Prabhupada was there, he was talking about these things. He was fully fit to act in that capacity and to deliver the disciples. What about you? That Then we come to the so-called Ritvik position, where they say that, well, there's no one around like Prabhupada, so just have Prabhupada as your guru. The guru's who are spiritual descendants of Srila Prabhupada, they have a very heavy task to represent him, <clears throat> which they must do. In every sampradaya, there are great sampradaya acharyas. Ramanuja, his thousandth year birth anniversary is just coming up. So there are so many gurus in the Ramanuja Sampradaya. They don't uh, profess themselves to be on the level of Ramanuja. They're all Ramanuja Das. But in the disciples' eye, they represent Ramanuja and in this way represent the Supreme Personality of Godhead. It may be philosophically a little difficult to understand. It's part of culture also. People who are raised in such a culture, they, they, they don't really have to think about it because they, they just, just like, uh, I'm trying to think of some example from the Mletcha culture I was raised in. Something you don't even think about, maybe you just don't think about making fun of people or insulting them, it's just normal. Uh, uh, but in the, in the 
actual culture, the gurus are there. They are accepted as good as God, but they also understand their own position. They don't try to overstep that. They don't try to be like Poundraka in relationship to Vasudev. Uh, so everything's understood. And one doesn't have to even discuss these things. Well, is my guru good enough or not good enough? It's, it's not to be discussed. Just like you don't discuss the intimate... The children, they don't discuss. They don't even think about the... How the, obviously the children, then after them come more children. But they, it's, it's, it's not the children's prerogative to even think about the intimate affairs of the, of their father and mother. Some things are not open to discussion. So that's another way we should think of Guru as father. We should know Maryada, what is the limit? There is etiquette also. Mm. So, Hare Krishna, I'll finish there for now. So that we can have the program going on on time. Otherwise, I could probably speak on and on and on. But we like to keep Mariada also for time. Keep a limit. Hare Krishna. All glories to His Divine Grace, Srila Prabhupada. Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai. Hare Krishna.